On today's podcast, we have David joining us. David has his master's in marriage and family therapy and is currently working on his thesis, which is in pornography and its relationship to religion. Um, And so we're going to be talking about sexual addiction and recovery and pornography and how that all kind of relates together and relates to us as Christians or even non-Christians. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear from him. So let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am sitting here with David, and we're going to be talking about sexual addiction and a little bit about pornography and recovery and a little bit about his story and just his work and figuring out how to recover um, from these things. But before we get into that, David, could you tell us a little bit about your story, Um, whatever that is, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, wherever you want to take it, even if it's, you know, more clinical or more personal, whatever it is. Sure. Well, let's hit it. Um, so yeah, my name is David. Thanks, Colton, for having yeah. me on. Um, yeah, my story it uh, starts. I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. and uh, grew up in Long Beach. Was raised a Christian. Went to Christian schools my whole life up until um, basically the end of college. Um, so I was raised in the church, uh, raised in a Christian home, and uh, for me. Uh, sexuality wasn't talked about in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, shocker. I had, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Shock, shock. Um, yeah. I had, I really only remember having one real conversation mm-hmm. about sex mm-hmm. with my parents. Uh, and it was actually just with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, Same. Okay. Yeah. yeah dad never talked to me about it. Yeah. So I never had any conversations with my dad about it. And uh, I just always knew it to be something that um was for marriage only and but i didn't really have anything else beyond that other than mm-hmm. i know it's this thing that people do and i was you know very kind of pious mm-hmm. young mm-hmm. kid very <laughs> uh you know i was the type of kid that had to do everything right mm-hmm. you know i'm a recovering perfectionist i identify <laughs> as now uh because i was uh yeah, very much a perfectionist mm-hmm. as growing up, mm-hmm. uh, relentless on doing the right thing yeah. and being a, a moral sheriff to other people as well. <laughs> I'm sure you were a lot of fun at parties. I was a ton of fun at parties. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even go to parties. I was so much fun. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, uh, so yeah, sex wasn't talked about much and I got into high school and at that time in my life, I was feeling pretty disconnected from people. I was feeling mm-hmm. very alone. I had lost some friendships and I was moving to San Diego and I was in this limbo period um, after my freshman year, just pretty feeling pretty, mm-hmm. um, yeah, disconnected and not very happy. I, I was probably going through some mild depression at that time. I didn't know what depression was mm-hmm. um, at that point, but I was probably going through some mild depression of some sort and uh, got curious one day. I was on the internet on dial-up. <laughs> don't even know if you ever used dial-up. I did use dial-up. Okay. okay, I'm not that young. All right, all right, all right. All right. Well, <laughs> didn't use it for long though. <laughs> okay. Well, so so you understand what it was like. But yeah, I was on dial-up internet. I was curious about the female body. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just had seen some images of girls in swimsuits, and for me, that was pretty intoxicating and pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. And I was intrigued. And so I got my sort of gateway towards pornography at that point Mm -hmm. in my life. And um, it wasn't soon after that that I started looking for more uh, Mm -hmm. stuff that was more sexually explicit and more obscene. uh, Yeah, obscene. And and so I, yeah, eventually discovered, um, yeah, pornography that was more revealing and I got hooked pretty mm-hmm. quick mm-hmm. and I didn't discover masturbation right away. It was probably like six months later or so mm-hmm. that I started uh, incorporating that mm-hmm. into my viewing of, um, of pornography. And then from then on, yeah, I would say it just started to increase slowly but surely. By my junior year of high school, I was looking at porn basically every day mm-hmm. and feeling really apathetic about life at this point in time I wasn't going to church I wasn't considering myself uh, a non-believer but I just uh, wasn't really connecting mm-hmm. with youth groups I was a really shy introverted kid at that time in my life and um, so I didn't um, yeah I didn't have a lot of social connection 
and yeah and and porn was a way to escape and kind of feel good and also because I wasn't dating at this time either and I was really just unfamiliar with um unfamiliar with dating and like kind of weirded out by it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um didn't really have much <laughs> didn't have much ability to be you know uh someone who could date well anyway I was mm-hmm. I was someone that um struggled a lot with just feeling really self-conscious yeah. and really yeah. insecure around uh girls that I was attracted to um so yeah p- porn just became kind of a supplement that or maybe mm-hmm. not a supplement, but that was a way to, um, uh, to yeah, supersede what the dating um, yep. that I wasn't doing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so yeah, then uh, got into college. I was going to a community college in San Diego, and uh, was still kind of struggling with it. And eventually, uh, brought it to a mentor of mine because mm-hmm. I had started going back to church at that point in my life, I had mm-hmm. uh, a pretty radical um, reconversion experience where God really went from a, a concept to a reality yeah. in my life. And so I was starting to get a lot more convicted about this porn- pornography issue. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I confessed and talked to this mentor of mine um, about the issue and started getting some accountability for it. Um, and then from then on, I struggled with it off and on. I transferred to Biola in 2007 mm-hmm. and became a biblical studies major, minored in philosophy and was really desiring to do ministry, um, and work in apologetics and evangelism of some mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I, I, during my time at Biola, I didn't struggle with porn a lot, uh, but definitely found myself, um, struggling a lot with lust Mm -hmm. and what the interesting thing that happened for me was so i had um kind of thought like porn was an issue of the past for me because i was like Mm -hmm. oh you know i'm going like a few months without it and Mm -hmm. you know i'm on this college campus with a bunch of other christians (laughs) and it's like it it felt like it felt like christian summer camp on steroids Mm -hmm. you know and it was it was Mm -hmm. just an amazing experience it was a great time um and i was growing a lot in my faith and i was making all these awesome Christian friends. And, mm-hmm. and I was just so excited to meet, you know, some gorgeous Christian girl. <laughs> and, you know, that was just so much on my mind, but I had no idea what dating even really was supposed to mm-hmm. be. Um, mm-hmm. because I hadn't even, I had, a, I had only one girlfriend, um, before coming to Biola and it was a very, very short term relationship. Um, so I, I just had very, um, very weird views on dating in general. And, kind of had this idea that God would just, you know, put a girl in my lap, you know, she'd knock on my door one day. Well, I, mean, I wouldn't have to, yeah. I wouldn't have to actually yeah. date. I thought dating was so stupid. You know, you know, these people, you know, you just dating. start courting, you know, yeah, I'm just going to start need, courting, you, you know, I, I'm going to, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I only need to, I only need to get to know them for like a month and then I'll know if I'm, if I need to marry them. I, I don't, I don't know why people spend so much time dating and this, and then they break up and they have all these, mm-hmm. you know, and then they hate each other and then they can't be friends and they can't talk. I just thought it was so, so weird and silly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, maybe I'm tangenting a bit, but you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole dating thing was, um, not something I was, uh, great at or understood really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was getting to earlier was what I noticed was happening with me was that I, could not find a lot of women attractive. Hmm. There were girls that everyone around me would agree, like other guys around me would agree are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, well, like, I guess they're kind of attractive, you know? And Mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself, am I just, I must be just really picky, you know? And, but people would give me flack about it all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. dude, really? You don't think she's cute, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... I just started noticing that I had to keep sort of upping upping the ante with uh, how attractive a girl would have to be in order for Mm. me, or how beautiful a girl would have to be in order for me to be attracted to her. Mm. And it just seemed like there was no one good enough. Mm. And I came to this conclusion at one point that I would have to, (laughs) this sounds crazy, I would have to marry the most beautiful girl on campus (laughs) for me to feel satisfied Hmm. um with her physical beauty because uh, because my fear was 
if I saw another girl who was really attractive or, or, mm-hmm. or maybe more beautiful, mm-hmm. then I would feel this utter shame and I would feel this utter feeling of depression really because yeah. I thought like, man, well, if I don't, if I find this other girl more attractive than this girl I'm married to, or, you know, let alone just dating, like I can't stay committed to this girl. And so there's just this deep fear that if I committed myself to a girl, um, even in a dating relationship, that she had to be more attractive to me mm-hmm. and more beautiful than other girls in my community. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to commit. Yeah. And so <clears throat> this was like a, a really sobering realization. And I don't know when I sort of connected the dots, but eventually I realized that my use of pornography was affecting my ability to actually recognize beauty, <laughs> actual beauty in yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and, and when I say beauty, I'm saying more physical beauty in this sense. And beauty is obviously is um, there's a wide spectrum of, of where beauty mm-hmm. encompasses mm-hmm. itself in the world. Um, but, you know, strictly speaking, just as far as physical attraction and beauty, you know, I, I was just finding myself like not being able to um, be attracted to uh, a lot of girls. And this was yeah, this was a very depressing mm-hmm um, Mm -hmm. issue. And so I moving along from there, once I graduated, I was still struggling with pornography. I would get involved in accountability groups with guys here and there. And, and sometimes those would be really helpful. And in fact, Mm -hmm. there was one group in particular that I met through a church, a local church nearby that, um, I ended up having about a two year span where I was uh, free from uh, masturbation and pornography mm. and so that was huge and that just that just felt like you know incredible amount mm-hmm. of feeling mm-hmm. and that was really cool um and then but but periodically from there i would uh, relapse so to speak and i would mm-hmm. um look at porn again and just yeah would always feel horrible about myself afterwards would feel really scared uh would be really was just feeling terrified to bring this issue into marriage, especially. And, and at, you know, the time I wasn't dating anyone. Um, but I just kind of always had this fear like, well, I'm not going to be able to date. I'm not going to be able to commit myself Mm -hmm. to a girl. Like she's not going to want me if I have this problem. Um, so fast forward a bit, um, into my mid twenties, I was having a lot of career, uh, crisis, (laughs) quarter life crisis in in terms of my career, because I was, Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't pursuing ministry, and I ended up doing some social work and uh, was in that field and was just kind of feeling uh, pretty disconnected from God. And um, it was, uh, it, I, I had felt also just these issues of lust creeping up again and these issues of pornography and masturbation creeping up again. And eventually I just realized, you know, like I don't, I don't know if I'm addicted to this stuff, but certainly I need to take more extreme measures. And so I joined uh, a celebrate recovery group at a, a church in the little area and um, I fit in there. And that was really helpful at first. And yeah. uh, I went through, actually I went through two 12 step programs through it <clears throat> and ended up spending about three years there. And it was really pivotal towards um, my overall recovery. Yeah. And and actually it was really cool because after that, I noticed that I was really able to recognize beauty hmm. in women again. And I started seeing, like finding myself attracted to a lot wider of a spectrum yeah. of women. And, um, <clears throat> and, and so it was, that, that just felt incredibly, yeah. uh, rewarding and life-giving that, you know, I'm seeing results of this. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, it was funny because even at one point in time, <clears throat> I can remember when I was at Biola, I was not, and this is just, this is going to sound weird, but I could not be attracted to a girl that had hips wider than mine. And I have, <laughs> and I have really skinny hips. Yeah, and so, and, and it was, and it was like, and I looked back on this and I thought like, oh my gosh, like, I wasn't even attracted to what was feminine, like yeah. having wider hips would be, should be more attracted mm-hmm. to me as a heterosexual mm-hmm. guy. So mm-hmm. it was, but, but that was just an example, I think of how pornography distorted hmm. my ability to, 
um, yeah. to recognize beauty and and was giving me standards of beauty that I don't think were realistic and yeah. and um, so yeah, just kind of a <laughs> just kind of a weird example, yeah, yeah, uh, that that I had. But um, so anywho, then um, so I, I went through some recovery programs through sober recovery that was helpful, um, and. Uh, yeah. And then kind of, I guess, coming up to speed, I, um, had then joined, uh, even a sexaholics anonymous group actually, mm-hmm. um, because I was finding myself just even more, um, I, I, I didn't, I considered myself somewhat of an addict. Um, mm-hmm. but I just knew I needed to get help with the problem, even though, you know, I wasn't struggling with it, um, as much as some people do, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I was definitely, um, definitely just seeing my sexual brokenness yeah. in, in in terms of um, objectification of women and lust and pornography and masturbation in particular. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I I got involved in one of those groups, um, and uh, and that had been really helpful for me as well. And so um, my recovery has been a, a journey and. Um, it's brought me up now to the point where I am uh, now becoming a marriage family therapist. I'm mm-hmm. finishing my degree next month in December yeah. of 2019, <laughs> and I'm really excited. I'm uh, I'm hoping to uh, and seriously putting my um, efforts into specializing in sex addiction mm-hmm. treatment, actually. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm writing a thesis right now on how to treat porn addiction or at least problematic pornography use amongst religious populations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interviewing therapists and doing research on everything out there in the scientific literature that discusses this issue yeah. and, and discusses the nuances of um, people who identify as religious and their unique struggles with mm-hmm. um, with pornography particularly. So yeah. Yeah, so that kind of brings me up to speed, um, and um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sweet. No, good. I mean, thanks for sharing. It gives us kind of the the full picture of where you were, what was going on, and now you're here, mm-hmm. and now your <clears throat> your field of study, um, which is I think very unique. Because <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. You can I can imagine. I mean, we talked about how people are just like, why are you studying <laughs> pornography use uh, yeah, in relationship yeah. to religion? Um, but this is what this podcast is all about. So we're going to talk about it. Um, so <clears throat> for someone listening to this and they're like, okay, you're saying you were addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you could like, I thought sex addiction was only like when you were having sex, like every week or every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is sexual addiction? Yeah, it's a great question. What is sexual addiction? So sexual addiction does not actually have a technical definition um, it's not listed in the DSM, which is the mm-hmm. Bible of psychology, basically. Yep. Um, it was listed in two versions ago of the DSM and the DSM-3 as a subset to sexual disorders. Um, but they since then removed it in the uh, early 90s. And there's just a lot of controversy, uh, controversy about mm-hmm. whether or not um, sex can be addictive. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's no technical definition. Um, but what a lot of people in the psychological community do to define it is they borrow terms from, uh, substance abuse Got it. and, um, and behavioral addictions. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and when we're talking about a sexual addiction, um, it's going to have the, um, all the markers of a normal addiction, which would be tolerance, mm-hmm. which would be uh, dependence and withdrawal and compulsivity and obsession mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, progression of the issue and also a relentless pursuit. Um, so to sort of parse out what some of those terms mean, I mean, tolerance, for instance, is um, you're requiring more of the drug in mm. order to get the same effect. So, um, if you're sexually addicted, that means you, um, like a normal sexual behavior is not enough. You need to, uh, distort it somehow or have more of that mm-hmm. in order to get the, um, the original feeling, whatever mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then the <clears throat> dependency and withdrawal, um, you know, we're, we're familiar with some of these terms. We've, I'm 
you know, most people have heard some of this stuff and, um, but, uh, but yeah, sometimes there's not always a, a mm-hmm. full understanding of what that means. But... And with porn, with the, the tolerance, it may not be that you're watching more of it, although that may be the case, but it could also be you're watching more graphic, more revealing, yes. more out there yes. type pornography. Exactly. More deviant, more out there. Um, yeah, that's when you get into things, um, yeah, sadomasochistic kind of stuff or, you know, mm-hmm. bestiality or mm-hmm. you know, just, just mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, um, or just more, you know, more extreme forms of um, yeah. pornography basically. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, with the redra- withdrawals, of course you have, um, if you're dependent on it and then you stop taking the drug or if you stop looking at porn, for instance, then you will feel psychological, emotional effects of that. Um, mm-hmm. it's feelings of, um, feelings of depression mostly is what people associate with withdrawal. Um, and then for it to be a real addiction, it's gotta be compulsive. It's gotta be like an irresistible, persistent, mm-hmm. um, uh, urge uh, and behavior um, despite consequences and, mm-hmm. uh, it's gotta be relentless and it's gotta be progressing and getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, uh, interestingly, as of now, the world health organization does have a definition, um, for sexual, uh, compulsive behavior. So it's, hmm. it's compulsive sexual behavior disorder actually. And that was entered in, uh, into the literature last year. And, uh, so that's, that's actually a really significant, um, uh, advance in the psychological community, but the DSM in America still doesn't use that. And the DSM is still used around the world, yeah. um, yeah. as, as, as kind of the primary, mm-hmm. primary book, um, for psychological disorders and such. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that, that has been proposed, the compulsive sexual behavior, in the World Health Organization, and they tried to enter in a definition called hypersexual disorder into the DSM-5 when it was uh, released, mm-hmm. I think, in 2013, and mm-hmm. it didn't make the cut. Hmm. And it didn't make the cut. Some people have said purely for political reasons, because there's so much controversy about, you know, labeling people as, yeah. as sex addicts and, yeah. you know, what is, you know, is it really an addiction or not? <clears throat> but... Um, the growing evidence is showing that this is a real phenomenon and, and, mm-hmm. and it really should be mm-hmm. entered in there. So I, I'm hoping that in the next version, it'll be in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that would be, it would be, I think, helpful for, um, helpful for the world, really. Yeah. So the DSM doesn't recognize it officially yet. Hopefully it will. Mm-hmm. Um, but do we have like numbers <laughs> on like how many people, let's say just in America, maybe would you estimate are maybe sexually addicted? And then does it like, is the same number in the church? Um, I don't know if you have numbers for these. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah. I, I, so I have numbers on pornography use. Okay. Yeah. So I can't speak to sexual addiction as much, but <clears throat> pornography use in particular, um, so, so here's one for Americans, and this is broadly, not just Christians, but Americans, 45% of men and 16% of women under the age of 40 intentionally view porn in a given week. Okay. Um, and so, uh, that's well over, uh, well over half of men and over a quarter of women view it at least once a month. Hmm. So a recent poll, this is interesting comparing, um, Protestant Christians is that 50.7% of born-again Protestant men under 40 watch porn alone at least weekly. Wow. And for other American men, it's only 51.2%. So literally, the rates of pornography use, for men at least, is just slightly higher for Mm -hmm. uh, people who are not Christian versus Mm -hmm. Christian. And so... Are those accurate? Um, there's, <laughs> there's there's some debate on that, um, but we can talk about that more later too. For yeah. women, born again women, nine point six percent of them uh, under the age of forty watch porn at least weekly, and mm-hmm. for other women, it's fifteen point eight percent. Yeah, which is, I mean, ten percent may not seem like a lot, um, but. 10% of a population of America <laughs> is a mm-hmm. lot of people yeah. who are looking at it. So, I mean, even if you were listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't know if I buy this whole, you know, every guy's looking at porn thing or girls are starting to look at it more. It's like, well, it's 
most studies come across, it's like, okay, half of men uh-huh. um, are looking at it. And yeah. let's say a quarter of women are looking at it monthly. Mm-hmm. That's a huge amount of the population. Yeah. Um, and it's one that I think I put a poll out uh, not too long ago for the podcast. I'm like, what do you want to hear about? And it was a lot about like, what do you do with porn addiction? Yeah. Um, what do you do with sexual addiction? And it, I think there was even an embedded like, is this as prevalent as like Christian pastors? Some of the people are trying to freak yes. people out about. Um, yes. <laughs> I have lots to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, say away. Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> I'm skeptical of mm-hmm. some of the numbers that are being thrown out amongst uh, Christian books and amongst pastors. You're going to hear a lot of people say that it's of epidemic proportions. Mm-hmm. And I think to some degree that could be true. Um, but the problem is with a lot of the the real rigorous psychological um, research that's been done and as far as surveys are concerned across the U.S., the, the people that I've been reading in the literature, um, their numbers are not matching what is being mm-hmm given in the Christian community. Um, so I don't have the numbers of the Christian community in front of me right now, um, but I do know that it's it's talked about as being um, much, much, much higher in mm-hmm. the church um, than what the polls like I've read to you, uh, the statistics like I've read to you are showing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that's, that's something to um, take note of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and an epidemic is kind of a subjective word. Sure, like sure. It's not like, okay, once it's above 40%, then it's an epidemic. Or once it's <laughs> above 80%, it's an epidemic. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I appreciate that a lot of pastors are trying to bring awareness to this. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, we can bring awareness to this while using the right numbers. <laughs> like, yeah, 50% yeah. is still a lot. Yeah. Like, we don't need to conflate it to even higher. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I mean... I don't have any statistics about this. There's probably about 90% of guys have looked at it at least once. Yeah, no, that, um, that I would say is probably true. No, yeah. yeah, I mean, I... But actively yeah. struggling 50% seems accurate um, mm-hmm. in some regard. Well, yeah, and it also depends on how often you're you're saying it too, right? Some, mm-hmm. some of the statistics, um, you have to qualify them. Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Yeah. Is it daily? Is it yearly? Right, so... Um, yeah, you, you got to get a little more nuanced, I think, on yeah. some of this stuff because otherwise it... it it sounds more out of proportion than it may actually be. Um, What's interesting though is um, Samuel Perry, who's this uh, author of a book called Addicted to Lust, which I will probably reference later as well, is he's the man on this topic. He did a sociological study of Protestant Christian Americans and their relationship to pornography. And it is fascinating. Hmm. So it's purely sociological. um, But uh, he writes an article called unbuckling the bible belt <laughs> and, uh, and so it was a google uh. stats study so what they did is they they looked at the google searches in mm-hmm. states that identified uh as more religious and mm-hmm. uh, more conservative um so so basically they you know let, they say let's say they took a state like utah right um, a state like Utah or Texas, for instance, are going to be uh, the red states, right? They're mm-hmm. more conservative, but politically, but um, religiously also more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and in states that were more religiously conservative, the searches for um, the word porn were higher in those states <laughs> than in states mm-hmm. uh, that um, are more that were less red. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was like that was pretty revealing because that right you don't a lot of these studies are done by surveys so you're Mm -hmm. relying on people being honest right Mm -hmm. and so you don't um you don't have that bias though when you're just doing a google search the Mm -hmm. the, the google search doesn't lie right Mm -hmm. like the the statistics won't lie there so uh that's something to note and you've heard i'm sure the the statistic about when there's pastor conferences at Mm -hmm hotels oh, and yeah. that the rates of pornography use are higher in the hotels during mm-hmm. the pastor conferences. And, um, and I would actually say that, that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that, um, pastors look at porn more than other yeah. guys. It's just, they may, that may be the only escape yep. they had to yep. it. And so, yeah. you know, for a, a lot of these guys, like that was, 
the timing was the key and mm-hmm. the amount of well, it's access. Like and access, exactly. they finally had yeah. access, and they were alone, and they were isolated. Yeah. And so, and I don't even know when that study was done. I don't even know where it was done. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. It's just it's but like it here's safe from here's safe. It from makes here. sense. Yeah, it makes you know it just feels good. Yeah, and, you know it just <laughs> what does it confirms. Good? <laughs> it conf- it's a kind of confirmation bias, right? Yeah. It just confirms what I wanted to believe. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, I do. Going back to the whole you know epidemic thing, I do think it's a big problem. Yeah. My. My main message, I think, that I would want to get across here with you is I think there's a lot of people who think they're addicted that aren't. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important distinction. Was I was I addicted? Because when I say I was addicted to porn for seven years, I know a lot of listeners are thinking I looked at porn every day probably for sure. seven years. Um, maybe a little extended periods. Um, but the reality was I was probably looking at that most every week for like year to year. But oftentimes like once every six months, once every two months, once every 10 months. Um, and so I want to ask you, it's like, okay, if my peak porn use is probably around junior year of high school, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, it's gradually gone down. Yeah. Was I a recovering addict for the last <laughs> three years of that? Because <sighs> um, in the seven yeah. years from 15 <clears throat> to 22, um, and I'd say probably around 17, 18 was the peak. And ever since then, it gone down until 22. It was sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what would you say to someone like me? Because there's plenty of guys and girls that are listening that are probably either identifying as sexually addicted and they're not, mm-hmm. or aren't identifying as sexually addicted and they are. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, that may be the case. How do we how do we know? Uh, even though the yeah. DSM doesn't say. Um, mm-hmm. And why does it matter that we make that? Why does it, why shouldn't everyone just say, oh, I'm I'm an addict? Um, why does it matter that we, we make a difference between like a habit, mm-hmm. um, or a, a use and mm-hmm. an addiction? Yeah. Well, um, I, I guess the easiest way to, to know if you're really an addict, uh, versus if you're not is, um, going back to the, the definitions of addiction I gave earlier, as far as are you experiencing, um, these classic symptoms of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can also take, like Sexaholics Anonymous, for instance, has a test that you can take online. It's like 20 questions. Mm-hmm. It's like yes or no, or true or false, or something to that nature. And, uh, and they can tell you whether or not you qualify to be a sexaholic or mm-hmm. you know, a sex addict, basically. Um, so there, there are ways of doing that. Um, and were you an addict at the time you know in the past and, and that's a great question I, I I'm gonna be a little agnostic because it's unless it was well really addiction is going to look like classic addiction and um, I think there's a lot of guys especially and there are women obviously who are struggling with this as well um, but there are a lot of guys who um, they may be looking at porn once a week mm-hmm. and uh, or once a month. Mm-hmm. I don't think those guys are addicted, hmm. in my opinion. And there are people who are married, and maybe the guy was looking at porn, maybe he was looking at porn once a week before he got married or once a month, uh, or then maybe he had a five-month Mm-hmm. Uh, time period of not looking and then he got married and and then uh, things were good the honeymoon was great you know they're <laughs> they're enjoying their sex life it's great and then stressful stuff happens in his life mm-hmm. job loss relationship problems mm-hmm. you know you know a dog dies something right something happens some trigger right some trigger happens and then he he we call it relapse Mm -hmm. and he goes back to porn and Mm -hmm. he looks at it maybe two or three times Mm -hmm. in a weekend or something he's starting to feel guilt Mm -hmm. his wife's super worried Mm -hmm. and we we use this language of relapse a relapse relapse is a real phenomena within addiction was that a real relapse for him maybe maybe not i'm i almost want to say no i mean if this if this guy we're talking about is someone who um never even looked at pornography every day it was always just maybe a weekly thing Mm -hmm. uh, or a monthly thing Mm -hmm. um that's not addiction 
mm-hmm. in my mind, in that story perspective, like that's not addiction because th- that's probably a bad habit and mm-hmm. or a a problem with lust. Mm-hmm. Um, what if it's what if it's more of like a, a binge and purge where they look at it three days in a row, uh-huh. then don't look at it for th- three weeks, yeah, and then look at it again three days in a row, <laughs> then don't look at it for a month. Yeah, I mean. It has some of the elements of addiction. I think primarily, though, and this is kind of speaking more just from my own perspective on it, um, so I don't have like a literature to back this up or whatever. I mean, sex is uh, an incredible drug. So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense that when you, if you quote unquote relapse with this, then you're going to go back to it right away again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty common, I've heard, actually, mm-hmm. now that I think about it, um, amongst uh, sex and love addicts, is they go a long period of time without it, and then once they binge, so to speak, mm-hmm. or once they go back to it, relapse, they binge, and they they um, act out multiple times, mm-hmm. whether that's with partners or yeah. with pornography. Well, that was my um, journey with pornography. I think I say once a month, Mm-hmm. Um, because it probably averages out <laughs> to that uh-huh. because it would always binge and purge. You look at it once yeah. and you have all this guilt and shame and you're like, well, F it, I already messed up. Yeah. So I'm going to look at it again. Uh-huh. And then I'm going to look at it one more time and then, okay, that's the kicker. Yeah. I'm okay, now I'm not going to look at it for another two months. Mm-hmm. And then you, something emotional trigger, your dog dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it is, that sounds like addiction, um, mm-hmm. but it also is way less frequent. Like again, cause mm-hmm. if I'm saying to someone, Hey, I was addicted to porn for seven years uh, in total, I probably only on average viewed it once every two months, Okay, but it was in this binge kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, especially a lot of, you know, university students, you're, you don't look at it while you're maybe at university, yeah. then you go home for yep. winter break <laughs> or home for spring break <laughs> yeah, that and was you're back my, home. That was my story. You're back in your emotional family relationships and triggers and all these negative things. And so then you have all this access because you're alone now, which you're never Mm -hmm. alone in college. And then you binge. Um, And then you come back to school and you don't look at it again for another four months. Are they addicted? (laughs) Or is that just an unfortunate usage or habit that happened? In my semi-professional, unprofessional, <laughs> becoming professional opinion. By the time this airs, you will have your MFT. So yes. it is professional. I'll have my I'll have my, my master's. That's true. Yes. I won't be licensed yet though. Like I said earlier, I'll still be the So don't take this as license child. advice, just mastered advice. Yeah, just master's <laughs> advice. Yeah. Um I I wanna say probably not addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, because it's not, it's not hitting those categories. Like I mentioned, I feel like I'm, it's going to be like a broken record on this thing. Like the, the categories of addiction <laughs> once again, David. Yes. And I, I, but yeah, it's addiction looks really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol addiction, people lose everything with mm-hmm. addiction. They, and they are constantly, um, coming up against all sorts of barriers in their life and, and you know it's yeah so it it, it causes a lot of issues basically mm-hmm. um so i think that if i were to kind of maybe assess what's going on in in the church if we want to talk about that mm-hmm. is there's definitely a problem with pornography mm-hmm. most most assuredly and i think a lot of guys have a bad habit of looking at it I think there are a lot of guys who are struggling with lust or maybe they're addicted to lust hmm. um, and maybe not pornography. And pornography is just the worst of their addiction to lust in terms of acting out. It might be the manifestation of it. Yeah. Right. And because I would actually say that's helpful. I think I would say most guys, not most guys, that's a very broad, <laughs> <Everyone>. broad number. <laughs> um, but I'd say. Yeah, most guys are addicted to lust, and mm-hmm. the worst usage that comes out of that addiction to lust is their pornography. But they're still, in the weeks they're not. So for me, I'll use my story so I won't call anyone out. Um, <laughs> in my story, um, yeah, I wasn't looking at porn for that two months until I had the binge cycle. Mm-hmm. But I was still masturbating and fantasizing and doing other little things okay. um, yeah. that were similar to that. So it's not that no. I was addicted to porn, but I was addicted to lust and maybe even addicted to masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a whole different <laughs> category. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't now talking about this. I don't, maybe I won't say I'm addicted. I was addicted to porn anymore. Um, 
but I was I still was addicted to to lust um, and maybe masturbation. Yeah, maybe you were. Yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. Um, Obviously, this isn't like a black and white, clear cut. You yeah. you are either addicted because of this or not. Yeah. But the categories and, and this this podcast will you know we're not you're not going to get any any clear answers or anything. It's just going to be all subjective, and you're going to come home very that's good. Go home very disappointed, or you're probably already people home just want to be told this. black and white, but that's not the reality. We just we want we don't like multivariate problems. Is Mm-mm. that's a word? Multivariant? Yeah. Layered. Multi-layered. Yeah. There we go. Uh, problems. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Speaking to what you'd said, um, yeah, so it does complicate things when you do throw in, are you addicted to masturbation versus pornography mm-hmm. um, versus lust versus uh, sexual fantasy mm-hmm. um, versus objectifying women uh, or men. Um, so <clears throat> there's, yeah, there's lots of areas that... Um, addiction could potentially show up in not just pornography obviously and so mm-hmm. um so yeah th- one thing i was going to to mention here is that it's really important to sort of be aware of your thought life and your fantasy life so if you're having sexual fantasy every single day and you're using that as a way to cope with boredom or anxiety or mm-hmm. feelings of sadness or you know, you just got in an argument with um, your spouse, your girlfriend, your friend, whoever. You, you may you may want to pay attention to that basically because mm-hmm. that's important. Uh, it, the whole issue of pornography is, um, it is tied into this idea of lust. Well, yeah. So I th- I think that with culture. Um, culture tells us that men are just constantly thinking about sex. Like that's, Mm. that's what culture is saying. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is that, no, you need to be attentive to those thoughts because they're probably mostly being used as a distraction. Um, like you are going to your lust or fantasy life because you don't want to think about this emotional trigger. You don't want to think about this anxiety or you're bored (laughs) and you want to get out of whatever, whatever it is that you're in right now or you're feeling, you want to go somewhere else. Um, and so your, your thought life goes, towards something maybe lustful, something maybe fantasy-oriented. And so I guess a question kind of rising out of all of this is, how do you seek help? <laughs> um, mm. And speaking of the two two folds, so we'll start with those who are sexually addicted mm-hmm. um, and meet the categories and meet the stuff, even though it's blurry. Um, yeah. How do you seek help if you're sexually addicted? Then two, mm-hmm. how do you seek help if you're just sexually habited? <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> um, or yeah. The, other, the other part. Yeah, so... Um, if you have a sexual addiction, you need to get involved into a 12-step program like immediately. Mm-hmm. That would be my advice. Uh, there's very few other ways to treat addiction that are better than 12-step programs um, because they incorporate the spiritual renewal. Mm-hmm. And regardless of where you are at in terms of religion or faith, you you only believe in a power um, that works for you basically. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. define God as you understand God to be. Yeah. And so for, I think a lot of people um, and even people in the church, there's a lot of, for for guys who are struggling with the sexual issues and the lust and whatnot. um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of who God is Hmm. and, and they have, um, really maybe disconnected from God in a sense, mm-hmm. or, or they've, um, they've lost, uh, lost touch of yeah. God's presence, yeah. right. Um, or who God is. And so the 12 step is helpful for spiritual renewal. It's helpful for emotional insight and emotional healing, mm-hmm. um, psychological as well mm-hmm. and, and community social. There's just very few things that work mm-hmm. better than that. And it's free. And like, it's free, which is that's like a great a big point. Thing, yeah, because most of my friends won't get counseling because it costs so much money. Yeah, um, but twelve step, it's free. <laughs> twelve step, and I mean, if you're really addicted, you're you're you definitely need to first do a twelve step program, um, a a good one, one mm-hmm. that's going to be serious in its approach towards the twelve steps. Um, so there are numerous recovery type programs out there. I've heard of a lot of different types. 
and some are loosely modeled after the 12 steps. Ones that are really rigorous are going to be ones that go through um, organizations like Sexaholics Anonymous, for instance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Sex Addicts Anonymous. Mm-hmm. There's also Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, mm. um, <laughs> which love addiction is a whole other thing, which... Yeah. I'm not an expert in, so we won't, we won't, we won't tangent. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll be a three-hour podcast. But um, but yeah, so 12-step programs, huge. I'm a huge advocate of those for people. Um, and uh, sometimes it needs to be supplemented with therapy because mm-hmm. in therapy, you're going to get the very depthful emotional and psychological work mm-hmm. that sometimes a 12-step won't get into as well because yeah. um, trained therapists and trained psychologists are are good at being able to un- unearth a lot of the early childhood attachment issues, uh, intimacy issues that are surrounded by, um, or that give birth to mm-hmm. this kind of addiction, mm-hmm. um, which I'll mention briefly, the sexual addiction in particular, the main roots of it, uh, that from the experts I've talked to, the clinicians who treat this stuff every day with people, as it's an intimacy, attachment, and neurobiological issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're t- if you're talking about in terms of the addiction itself, if you, as far as the spiritual um, matters, um, I think it's definitely spiritually and morally related as well. Um, but if you're if you're really looking at it from a psychological perspective, it's um, like I mentioned the intimacy, attachment, and neurobiology, which are are massively influential mm-hmm. because it's not just a spiritual thing. I think that what you're going to find a lot of people saying, at least that they were saying this in the past, and I assume that it's still being said today, is that um, that it really can be solved through prayer and through, uh, through church attendance or mm-hmm. through um, pastoral advice mm-hmm. um or th- you know just plainly through god like through through christ um healing directly through god and that's just not something i've seen uh and that a lot of people would attest to a lot of christians who have been truly addicted to sex or pornography or lust um they've tried that and it hasn't mm-hmm. and it hasn't worked as much and so I'm not saying that God couldn't heal somebody, (laughs) right? Obviously, we're not, you know, I'm not going to make that claim. Um, That's just a really, really Mm -hmm. rare situation. Well, and what if the healing agent is the community? Like, is the counselor? Like, God doesn't just have to just zap and boom, you're healed. Like, a lot of times he's healing through community. Yeah, well, and and it doesn't build character. I think Mm -hmm. that's that's an important thing to to make note of is the, the process of, um, of healing in all sorts of areas of our life where we're broken is God typically doesn't just fix mm-hmm. all of our mm-hmm. our problems. Like it's not healed overnight because the it doesn't build character if we do that. Yeah, and that doesn't b- draw us closer to God uh, yeah. in a loving relationship. Um, so, so yeah, uh, that to say, therapy is needed for people who are in severe. Mm-hmm. Uh, sex addiction situations if they're in a marriage um, or a, a committed partnership and uh, you know one of the partners is struggling with porn typically it's going to be the guy but you know if there's a sexual addiction or porn addiction with the guy um, then uh, couples therapy is I think is really can be helpful because there's yeah. a lot of feelings of betrayal um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the the spouse feels the mm-hmm. typically the woman feels in this whole issue um so yeah 12 step programs like i mentioned um therapy and um and then i think really just being more honest with mm-hmm. your community with mm-hmm. your friendships about this mm-hmm. um i think that's i think that's that's pivotal as well yeah, yeah and um yeah, there's there's more I could say with that too. I don't know if you had any other questions. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I want to ask about how it affects spouses and partners, and how spart like partners and spouses can come alongside this. Mm. Um, but I think before we get into that, maybe we can dive into 
what do you do if you're not necessarily sexually addicted? Mm, that's right. <laughs> you're yeah. not you're not addicted to pornography, <laughs> maybe by the definitions we kind of laid out, even though it's mm-hmm. kind of murky and gray. What do you do? You still go to the twelve step? Do you still seek therapy? What is their route um, in seeking healing? Yeah, I would say you got to try something. Mm-hmm. And what if if whatever you're trying isn't working, then you need to take more measures. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that was a, a given, but. But look, if you're if you're struggling with porn, for instance, and you're you're not sure what to do about it, I mean, the first step is just to tell somebody that you're struggling. Mm-hmm. So tell people close to you in your life, whether that's a best friend uh, or a pastor. Tell somebody if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming most people have talked about it. People talk about it more openly now these days, but but I can't assume that because I think some people are still are still hiding it. So you you first got to tell somebody, and, and second you've got to at least get some accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, get some accountability software for your computer if you don't have mm-hmm. any. Covenant Eyes is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, have someone prevent you from being able to download apps on your phone, like mm-hmm. so to have them put in a passcode <laughs> that prevents you from downloading apps, mm-hmm. or you know delete all your internet browsers, delete all your access to pornography. That's mm-hmm. um, that's a really Mm-hmm. Um, a good simple fence to put up. So yeah, in in terms of fences, put up as many fences as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, confess and talk about the issue. And man, I think the sh- the issue of shame is huge. Mm-hmm. This whole this whole idea that I am no longer a good person or I am a failure or I'm never going to recover this self-criticism, self-flagellation, self-hatred that happens with pornography, particularly for people in the church is, it, it is astounding. <laughs> it's, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's so many people are dealing with the mm-hmm. issue of shame. And I noticed this in my life that I, I wondered sometimes if the porn was the problem or my shame was the problem hmm. because, um, and this may be getting off into another zone here, but the really, um, I think we need to focus less on, um, the behavior and mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. of what yes. else is going on in us yeah. psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, um, the shame piece is that with amongst Christian men in particular, this actually statistically speaking in referencing uh, the book I mentioned earlier, Addicted to Lust by Samuel Perry, is he talks about how there's actually like it's measurable that we can see that um, people's problems with pornography or the the, the negative symptoms that are occurring in mm-hmm. them because of pornography is not because of the pornography itself as much as much as it is their the meaning of by which they apply mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to pornography the meaning and value that the community around them applies to mm-hmm. pornography and then the moral incongruence that they feel when they have transgressed and they've looked at porn now they feel mm-hmm. horrible about themselves and it's this you know the self-criticism the self-hatred this shaming that they do that's actually causing more of the psychological and emotional problems Mm -hmm. statistically speaking than actually viewing pornography so so for instance like they could look at somebody who watched porn five days in a row for instance um and um and another person also watches uh porn five days in a row and they would see no statistical difference in um well, actually, that's not a good example. It, the example would be if you had someone who had watched porn a ton, mm-hmm. like every day for you know, 30 days or something, mm-hmm. and um, and then you tracked someone who watched porn maybe once a week in that 30 days. Um, the person who's shaming themselves and looking at it only once a week um, would have more clinical symptoms, uh, meaning like mm-hmm. anxiety, the feelings of depression, um, mm-hmm. relational problems maybe. Mm-hmm more so than the person who 
uh, didn't shame themselves. Yeah. But we're looking at porn a lot more. So yeah. maybe that was a complicated way of, of explaining it. But Well, no, that's true in my story because I think as soon as I stopped taking on, sh- like behavior is indicative of who I am. So mm-hmm. like I look at porn, therefore I am a terrible person. Yeah. As soon as I got out of that loop and once it was weird, once I stopped experiencing shame while watching pornography, actually helped me not look at it again the next time. Now, it doesn't mean this is a searing of conscience um, where it's like I still felt guilt um, or maybe some moral obligation to change or something, but it was like this doesn't affect who I am. Um, this is more of something, that, a behavior I need to stop um, that may be rooted in some bad ways of viewing myself or viewing the world or emotional triggers that I'm not processing well. But as when I got over the shame, as when I really started to make strides towards, I think, healing and sobriety. And which is really weird because you would expect that like shaming someone would help them change behavior, sure, um, sure. which it does. I mean, even with your example, it changes behavior for the other six days of the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> like he didn't look at porn compared to the guy who's looking at it every day, uh-huh. but his, his other six days are probably way more anxious and depressed because of how much shame he's taking on. Yeah. This is who I am now because I've done this rather than mm-hmm. this is not who I am, but I have done this and I need to change this. Um, it's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. I mean, even an atmosphere of how you tackle the issue. Yeah. So say we have someone who's listening to this who's a spouse married to someone who just admitted to them that they've been struggling with porn or struggling with some type of sex addiction. I think porn is going to be a little bit easier maybe to talk about because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you get into affairs, it's a little bit different in terms of like yeah. sexual addiction. But yeah. let's let's maybe stick to porn. Um, how can a spouse go about, one, helping their partner um, or even just a, not a spouse, but a committed partner. Mm-hmm. And two, so how can they help them? And two, what does it look like for them to find healing um, from the things you talked about earlier with betrayal, mm-hmm. um, all those different things? So kind of a twofold of how can they help their partner yeah. and how can they, in a sense, heal themselves from this betrayal that they've experienced? I think you can help your partner first by being a forgiving person towards them. I mean, being a conduit of grace, I guess. Um, and really trying to understand what the root problem is. Um, it's going to be really hard to not feel, uh, personally offended by this, but Mm -hmm. typically someone's not looking at porn to get back at you. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not doing it because they are, you know, a bad person per se, or, you know, they're, they're just a horrible spouse or something. Or, I mean, yeah, like that you're not attractive enough for them mm-hmm. or, you know, you're not sexually appealing enough. That's mm-hmm. typically not the reason that um, mm-hmm. someone goes to porn in a relationship. Um, so what what can they do? I mean, I would say, um, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, you got to be gracious to the person who is looking at the porn and, and really try to understand why it is that they're looking. Is this an intimacy issue and, and by intimacy I mean emotional intimacy mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is there a lack of connection that this person is um, not having in their life is is there some deeper emotional psychological wound um, that is really um, really causing this and, and so be, be able to I think listen to um, the um, the person who's struggling with porn, listen to their story. Mm-hmm. And so that you can understand, okay, why, why are they doing this for one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that the partner, um, uh, should, should get help of their own. They should be talking to their friends, um, in processing this, yeah. Um, yeah. because it is going to feel very lonely and they will feel, um, betrayed and hurt. Um, and so, yeah, I think I would start with that. Uh, and then the second question was... Uh, it was kind of how do they... I mean, you kind of answered it. How do you heal your own wounds, which I think is what you're talking about. Like, talk okay, to yeah. talk to people. I mean, you might need mm-hmm. to seek your own therapy and counseling. Yeah. Because um, that's, that's pain. I mean, that's mm-hmm. valid hurt and valid betrayal. Um, doesn't mean that he is now the worst person or she is the worst person in the world for looking at porn. Mm-hmm. But there is going to be pain, and that's valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to work through that in a way that's constructive <laughs> and helpful. Yeah. Um, so I guess yeah. if, if someone, say someone's listening to this right now, and they are either sexually addicted, pornography addicted, lust addicted, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so any of the things we talked about, yeah. what would be the hope 
um, that you would offer to them? What would be the hope? Well, there is hope. Um, if you take this seriously, uh, especially in terms of pornography, you can find tremendous healing. You may not ever be out of the woods. Mm -hmm. So I've talked to a lot of people who've dealt with addiction in general and clinicians who talk about this as an, a thing that is, is not something that can um, that may ever go away, at least your temptation to it. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, there is that right addictive element to it. And um, but I, I think part of the way you kind of gain hope for yourself is really understand what it is. Do you have an addiction? Do you have a problematic use of pornography? Do you have a bad habit? Um, try to understand what it is and um, and get as much help as you can. Mm -hmm. Like uh, like I mentioned, the 12-step programs, get therapy if you need that as well, if that's uh, affordable to mm -hmm. you or if that's accessible to you. Um, get, get counseling, get accountability, set up mm -hmm. fences and measures mm -hmm. um, to prevent yourself from looking at it. Um, and, and yeah, um, I, I would, I, yeah, I definitely say there's hope, um, in my own personal journey, there has been just, uh, there's been tremendous amount of healing that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also will say I'm not out of the woods, Yeah, you know, and, and, um, don't think that's sex and marriage if you're single is going to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. um, Which hopefully at this point, most people <laughs> will know that just by getting married and having sex is not going to stop yeah. um, your pornography usage. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that's key. Um, but there's hope in that there's, there's all sorts of tools for, mm. for recovery from um, a, a bad habit or problematic mm -hmm. issue um, and, uh, or, and, or addiction. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful even restructuring what the goal is. Cause even like you can find tremendous healing and growth, but you might never be out of the woods, but mm -hmm. that's not necessarily like you've failed. Um, like yeah. it, you point, might yeah. not ever, you know, have a season where you're never tempted or never, you know, completely out of it, but there is hope that you can use it less. <laughs> there is hope that it won't be as nagging. Mm -hmm. It may never go away fully, um, but that's just like humanity. Um, we're not expecting someone who struggled with lying um, or was addicted to lying to now suddenly never lie again. Yeah. Um, now, your hope is that they do it much less. Um, they do it in less harmful ways. But the goal should never be complete stoppage of temptation um, or desire, but rather just a, a decreasing of what you were mm -hmm. <laughs> and a growth towards something better. Yeah. Um, so what would, what would your hope be for maybe the Christian church? Um, how can the church as a whole walk alongside people? Like what, it, what would be your hope uh, in relation to this topic with the church? Yeah. My hope would be that people um, get more educated on the topic, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I think, a passion of mine. And maybe that came out in the podcast. I think it is, is <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I, I think I have more. I have more of an interest in trying to understand what this phenomena actually is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of like yeah misunderstanding in the church. So so really just some some I guess psychoeducation uh, about uh, addiction will be really helpful for for people just to really understand what it is they're actually going through. And because I mean. This is this is an area I'm not as much an expert on, but as far as um, the spiritual aspects, I mean, really, this reveals um, your behaviors reveal a lot the contours of your heart, and mm -hmm. um, and lust is ultimately a spiritual um, a spiritual problem, a moral problem, and uh, it's that's sort of the underlying root of all this. Um, I do have hope that the church can um, be, yeah, be more educated on this topic. I think as as they, as you have more people who have been, um, I, I think mostly in the psychological and, and maybe even the philosophical community too, people who have who've done research on these kind of things, um, that they can provide some insight into um, what's actually going on in people. Um, 
and to be able to point people to the right resources. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm always a big believer that there's hope for all things. It, it's just a matter of how is that all going to come about? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, what exactly churches need to be doing, um, per se, but I, I think, I think it would be helpful that they at least point people in the best direction and not try to assume that, um, that it's going to be solved purely through a spiritual answer, Mm -hmm. you know, or spiritual discipline of some sort. Um, so yeah, I think as, as the church gets more uh, familiar with this topic as people talk about it more in the church, um, as the resources become more clear and available that, yeah, there will be a lot more, um, a lot more healing for, for people, especially, especially the men. Cause there's obviously a lot of men in the church who, um, who at least struggle with pornography, mm-hmm. um, and, and deal with so much of that, that shame, that, that shame word, man, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, that that's just so significant in in getting healing so and maybe that's even another piece of it too is just really getting people out of shame like treat this like any other bad habit like we eat sugar like crazy that's are we addicted to sugar <laughs> you know I, I, maybe maybe right like <laughs> yeah maybe you know but um you know probably not it's probably just something where where it's a bad habit and we're used to it and you know mm-hmm. uh so i i think being able to treat porn um, as maybe maybe less ac- epidemic in a sense actually could be helpful. Obviously, you do need to, to see if it is a problem, you need to take that seriously. But but uh, the the whole epidemic language, I think, is um, can influence the idea of um, put push us backwards, basically, and push us away from healing because we're we're um, we, we take it maybe more seriously than we need to. So that may be controversial. <laughs> that's, that's okay. You know, if I can say that, right. Um, uh, so yeah. yeah, I hope that, hope that answers. Yeah, no, I think it's good. David, I've enjoyed our time a lot. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who are listening who are either addicted and this is going to be really helpful for them to finally maybe seek the help they actually need um, rather than just trying harder not to do it. Um, they actually seek more constructive ways, but then also for those who, Maybe you've been feeling like they're quote-unquote addicted, but really it's just a habit. Um, and that language change can actually take some of the shame monkey um, off of their back and actually help them pursue wholeness. Um, so either way, <laughs> for both camps, um, I think this is going to be helpful for them. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. We hope that David's words today encouraged you in your struggle, gave you a vision for your future and how you can recover and heal ultimately made you feel hope for your sexual addiction or pornography usage. Also, if you ever have any questions or feedback or topics that you want us to discuss and you want to get a hold of us, we have an email listed in the podcast notes that you can email um, and send us your thoughts. So please go on and do that, um, and we'll hopefully incorporate that into some of the podcasts in the future. And as always, if you've enjoyed what you have heard today or enjoyed what this podcast is doing and what is it about It would help us out greatly if you could leave us a review and if you could subscribe to the podcast. This helps us reach other people and this helps us fulfill what this podcast is ultimately trying to do, which is bring hope to those who are trapped, those who are struggling, and those who are wondering what to do with sexuality. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace and believing, said by the power of the Holy Spirit, may abound in hope 